Greetings and welcome to the Christopher Anastasio podcast. This is episode 64 and it is Tuesday, September 28th, 2021. And uh, unfortunately, this has become a theme on this podcast. It's been a while since I've been able to uh, get an episode out there. I think the last one was uh, in late July, uh, July 29th to be exact. So uh, essentially two months. (laughs) So... A lot's been going on since then. A lot of stuff has transpired, but I wanted to actually use this episode, guys, to just kind of focus for a little bit on something that's in the financial news that I just couldn't ignore. I had to make an episode about it, although the news is about uh, about a week old now, Um, and that is the Evergrande situation, the uh, company in China uh, that is facing severe financial difficulty and has been compared to Lehman Brothers, uh, which of course was a U.S. investment bank that uh, tanked in September 2008. In fact, it wasn't uh, just a few weeks ago that was the anniversary of it. I think it was September 15th or 16th in 2008. Uh, So we're talking about 13 years ago or so now. Um, So basically, and here's my rudimentary understanding of what's going on with Evergrande. And I just kind of want to make a couple points about it compared to 2008, you know, the whole thing. Um, So I think that Evergrande is a a company that um, had various holdings. I think it was primarily a real estate company, and I'm talking past tense, and the company still exists. So it's actually still still around. The question is how much longer is it going to be around? But it basically had interest in real estate. And I'm also reading that it had some aspirations to get into the electric vehicle market. And so those are the two areas that I've heard of uh, so far in terms of what this bank was sort of involved in. And in terms of real estate, Evergrande was involved, to my understanding, in um, making investments in real estate in China that never actually was used. <laughs> so basically, like entire, you know, buildings, small towns, cities of, of, um, of uh, real estate, of, of various structures that were never occupied, that were built with the anticipation that there was going to be occupancy that never materialized. And so they've reached this point where they've invested so much of this money and they've been on the hook for so much money with other counterparties that they simply can't cover these obligations any longer. And they've just run out of runway Uh, to the the tune of, I think last week, they missed like $83 million of, uh, of, uh, of loan payments to various creditors. So... You know, it's definitely something I've intended to dig a little bit deeper into uh, detail-wise. But for the time being, it's enough to say that there are elements of the Evergrande situation in terms of an entity, in this case, this bank, growing too big to fail. You know, taking on such large positions uh, across these various investments and tying up counterparties in those transactions who now will also be affected by any you know perturbation or any collapse any issue that occurs with Evergrande now if you remember back to Lehman Brothers in 2008 fall 2008 
Uh, and, and also there were a couple other entities like this at the time. It wasn't just Lehman Brothers. I mean, you had Bear Stearns in March 2008. You had AIG, uh, you know, that, that got tangled up in this stuff. Society General in, in France, I believe, also ended up like this. Where you basically had these entities that had these large-scale investments and positions that other parties were, were transactioning with them. And when the, the first party, for example, Lehman Brothers, went down the tubes, it carried other counterparties with it that either had entered those transactions, uh, you know, knowingly, uh, you know, from a faulty perspective, or maybe unwittingly entered those transactions thinking everything was okay and it was good to do business with that company. And then it turned out to be a bad idea to do business with that company. So, so basically... Lehman Brothers was one of a few large-scale entities that its own demise created a ripple effect, a domino effect that spread throughout the market, that spread throughout the banking system, that spread throughout the credit markets and so forth, and really contributed. I mean, it wasn't the only one, like I said, but it really contributed to the seizing up of the financial system as we know it, which, of course, in other podcasts and other avenues on my various platforms I've talked about what this system is built on. And it's built on, you know, it's basically smoke and mirrors. I mean, it's, it's built on debt. It's built on, um, you know, sort of an expectation more than an actual delivery of value. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but, but I think anybody who's familiar with Lehman Brothers and other companies like it at the time understands that these companies had morphed into something that was unhealthy for the rest of us, you know, for the rest of the economy. And eventually that sickness made its way to the surface and was sort of exposed uh, by, by their collapse. So the comparison is being made between Evergrande and, for example, Lehman Brothers, uh, that the collapse of Evergrande can lead to a domino effect, a ripple effect throughout the global financial system because of how many other parties are tied to transactions that Evergrande has entered into. And so I think, guys, the, the, the thing is to keep this podcast fairly short, so I want to kind of get into some takeaways right away here, is that I think at a bare minimum, if you have money invested in the stock market, and I don't, I just tweeted last night, I think it was, how, how well I sleep these days because I have no money in the stock market. So I don't have to worry about this stuff. You know, I don't, I don't care about this stuff from a monetary perspective. I care about it more intellectually and academically and philosophically and so forth, but I don't worry about dollars and cents because I took them all out of there, okay? And, you know, thanks to Nassim Taleb for that, um, <laughs> who a lot of my regular listeners know is one of my touchstones as far as what to do with the stock market. Uh, if you haven't read Nassim Taleb, The Black Swan, and some of his other books, I, I highly recommend it. But, but the bottom line is um, I, I didn't understand the risk well enough I believed there was so much risk baked into that system that is not understood, that is not discussed, that is not put out in the news, that I had to withdraw from it. I, I just had to pull away from it entirely because I didn't understand and, and feel comfortable with those risks. Now, most of us are conditioned to just dump the money in the stock market because it's not risky and it's risky to not invest and it's risky to not dollar cost average in the whole nine yards. Well, I would encourage everybody at a bare minimum with this Evergrande news to start keeping a very close, sharp eye on what's happening with that situation and then what's happening ancillary to it, right? Because if you think back to Lehman Brothers, and again, let's go with September 16th. I have a feeling that that's the date. So September 16th, 2008, 
Lehman Brothers collapses. It wasn't until two weeks later, in fact, I think it was exactly two weeks later on September 30th, that the stock market suffered, I believe it was a 777-point drop, which at the time, you have to remember, the stock market back then was, let's see, it had come off of a high in October of 07 of like 14,000 and change. So by, by a year later, it was down already, I think, close to like 10, 11,000 on the Dow Jones. So, so when I say 777 points, that's out of 10,000, you know, or, you know, give or take, you know, it's a much smaller number than, than today, uh, and, and thus a much higher proportion in terms of how much the market went down September 30th. And of course, that happened on the day that Congress had voted uh, to, whether to give funds or not to other banks like Goldman Sachs, et cetera, who were affected by the Lehman Brothers collapse and by the, the shakiness in the financial system at that point. Okay, so there was a vote in Congress. Congress voted no, we're not going to give the funds to the banks, and the market tanked almost 800 points that day. So that that massive downturn that would continue, I mean, it would go all the way to March 2009 when the market bottomed out at like 6,700. That really big movement didn't occur for about two weeks after Lehman Brothers and months later from Bear Stearns. Okay, I mean, Bear Stearns had happened in March, so we're talking about six months that Bear Stearns had kind of been baked into the system, and then you had this massive downward movement on September 30th. And it, by the way, it might have been September 29th, might have been October 1st, but it's right around the 30th of September. So the takeaway there, guys, is you have to look at what's happening every single day now, I think. If you, if you have money in the stock market, particularly if you're anywhere near retiring or you cannot afford to lose that money, and you maybe normally don't pay attention to this stuff, I think you have to be looking at it all the time now. And you have to be really, really keeping a close ear to the ground. Because who knows, maybe Evergrande is going to come and go and it's going to you know, implode at some point and it's not going to affect anybody. I mean, that's, that's possible. I don't think there's any guarantee that it's going to reflect some contagion in the stock market or something like that. But that doesn't mean that it can't. And of course, we have examples in history of where it has done that. You know, you know, banks or institutions like Evergrande have essentially pulled down the entire system, not just because of its own balance sheet blowing up, but because of the implications that sort of ripple outwards from that. I mean, in some cases, even probably on some level, the perception that gets involved in this sort of thing. Because you have, for example, with, with Lehman Brothers, you have a real dissolution of, of an institution, right? Lehman Brothers really did collapse and go away, right? Then you go like one ripple outward and you have other banks and other institutions that were really affected by Lehman Brothers going away, right? So you have, you know, you have a, a you know, a spreading kind of um, a secondary effect from the first bank failing into these, these secondary institutions, right? Then you spread out from there into, you get into sort of a perception zone, where now all of a sudden, you know, the casual investor or even the institutional investor looks at this situation and says, wait a second, Lehman Brothers collapsed. I thought they were too big to fail. Now all these other banks are having a problem. I perceive that the market is about to fail or I perceive that there's about to be this massive collapse. So based on my perception of where this is going, I'm pulling my money out. And when big money starts moving out of the market, whether it's a couple of institutions or whether it's millions of investors at the lower level, the effect is essentially the same, right? You have this, this sort of loss of confidence and this domino effect uh, that occurs after that. In fact, I talked about this 
probably way back on this podcast, and you got to go all the way back to the spring of 2020 when we had some of that early pandemic kind of effect going on in the stock market. And uh, again, I forget exactly where I posted this or recorded this, but I talked about the danger of combining the hyper liquidity of, of, a, of a market like, like with stocks, okay, unlike, let's say, real estate, where it's very hard to exit a real estate transaction, you know, and sell a house, for example. But with stocks, you can literally sell them in a nanosecond. I mean, you can log into your Fidelity account, press a button, and by the time the button hits the bottom of the keyboard, you've sold it, right? So you have this hyper liquidity combined with sort of a massive herd mentality. And I think when you put those two things together, you get a very dangerous combination. And we saw what that led to in 2008. We saw what kind of rippled outward from that in 2008-09 timeframe. And now, you know, you have to be wondering. We have the longest bull run in history is still going, right? We've gone from March 2009 all the way till it's September 2021. That's 12 years. The longest bull market before this one was just shy of 10 years, and that was in um, the 1990s. Okay, it actually lasted 113 months was, uh, was the last bull market uh, that, that went anywhere near this long. Okay, so we're working on over, what, we're, we're like 12 and a half years now, okay? So we're in, we're in uncharted territory. We've never seen a bull market like this before. We've never seen anything last this long before. This is incredible. I mean, this is you know, pretty incredible. The market has gone up this long this far without faltering to a major degree. Now, it had some moments, you know, 2011 debt ceiling, last year with the pandemic, and there were pullbacks in there. There were some corrections, but we've not entered uh, a recessionary period since 2009. So with just a couple minutes left here, guys, I just kind of wanted to get this episode out. Uh, I, I honestly, just to be honest with you guys, I mean, I need to do more homework on Evergrande and all the particulars and so forth. Uh, but there was some news today about their electric vehicle uh, division that just, you know, that's blowing up as we speak and, you know, owes God knows how much money, you know, can't pay its workers, all those kinds of things that start to happen when a company falls apart. So we just don't know what's coming next. We don't know how far and wide this is going to reach. We don't know what the Chinese government will do with Evergrande, if they'll prop it up, if they'll make it too big to fail, if they'll make a lesson, you know, make an example out of it. We don't know. And you know, we, we know of some of the counterparties in, in transactions with Evergrande. I think some of them have been advertised, but who knows the extent of them? I mean, who knows how far and wide their their, their tentacles go in terms of, uh, you know, who they've transacted with and what they've transacted and so on and so forth. So anyway, guys, I definitely, um, you know, you want to get this quick kind of update on Evergrande out there. It's something I uh, plan to record more about as, as, as more develops with it. Uh, but I would encourage you guys, number one, read about Evergrande and what's going on with it. Number two, watch the market on a basically daily basis. I mean, just keep a very close eye on what's happening and what news you're hearing and be very aware of where you're positioned. You know, a lot of people, when they have their retirement accounts and so forth, they may not even remember, you know, where their stuff is because you're just not supposed to touch it anyway, right? So if you're getting anywhere close to retirement or anywhere close to needing that money for something, let's say you're going to borrow from it to buy a house or something like that, I would just stay very, very closely tuned uh, to what's going on with this situation. So I'm going to leave it there, guys. Um, more to follow on it, more to follow in general. 
uh, as I kind of get back into recording more episodes uh, here on, on this podcast. But as always, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for sharing. Would love to hear back from you, you know, questions, remarks, comments, inputs. Uh, you can you can leave comments on uh, my Facebook page uh, at Christopher Anastasio LLC. You can go to my Twitter at CJ Anastasio. Um, and uh, I have various other accounts as well, but those are probably the best ones uh, if you want to respond directly to something on this podcast. So thanks again, guys. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.